How safe is ivermectin? Today, I'm going to review an outstanding toxicological and medical review of ivermectin. Come on, let's go take a look. The following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com. Visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles, discussion forums, and exclusive subscriber-only content. Hello everyone, Dr. Chris Martinson here, and today we're going to talk about the safety and toxicology of ivermectin. Now, as a quick review, if we uh, take a look at my background here, as a reminder, I did go to Duke University, it says here, I graduated on the 14th day of May, uh, 1995. This is a degree from the Department of Pathology, and as well, uh, within there, I had a subspecialty in toxicology. So everything I'm about to tell you today is right within my wheelhouse. This is what I went to school for. This is what I studied. So let's take a look. And as a quick other piece of background, um, this is uh, Doyle Graham was the principal investigator of the, he was the principal investigator whose lab I studied in. He was instrumental in my training. And uh, Michael Sheets here was uh, somebody I worked with quite a bit. And this is an example of a paper that I wrote, and it went into, as we can see here, into toxicology and applied pharmacology, TAP, uh, one of the leading journals in toxicology. So with that out of the way, here's the paper I want to review today. This is put together by a man named Jacques Decote here. Look at him. He's an MD. He's a PharmD and a PhD. So this guy's got credentials all over the place. Uh, Professor Emeritus at uh, University in Lyon. He's a fellow of the U.S. Academy of Toxicological Sciences. That's a big position. And as well, he's a Eurotox registered toxicologist. So uh, obviously very accomplished. He's got uh, 146 publications to his name and a lot of citations. You can find that there. So Jacques put together a toxicological review uh, for a company and around this ivermectin substance. So this is an expert review report. He didn't do any original research here. What he did was he scanned through hundreds and hundreds of articles and online uh, citations in order to develop a view, a comprehensive review of ivermectin and its safety profile. So who did he do this for? As per the request of Medincel, um, which is a company, I, the undersigned certify, um, and to have peru perused the publicly available information relevant to conduct an extensive analysis of ivermectin safety in human beings. The aim of the present review is to propose an independent evaluative judgment of this information, which includes original scientific publications and literature reviews, case reports, and any other source provided it can be indisputably tracked down and freely accessed. The author personally collected and reviewed all the cited information from the beginning of September 2020 to the end of February 2021. So he had a multi-month investigation. As well, little background here. We need to talk about ivermectin. This is from that paper. And by the way, um, you can download this paper yourself. Let me see if I put the link in. Where did I put it in? Uh, I should have had it in here. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention it here on this one. That's why I'm like, I know I had this. This is the link down here, MedInCell uh, slash Ivermectin. And by the way, this link requires an email, which you provide free, uh, that will then allow you to download this PDF, which is the one we're looking at. So that's how you get to it. All right, Ivermectin background. What did he put in his executive summary? He said, Ivermectin was first approved as a human medicine in 1987. 
And in addition to 40 years of extensive use as a veterinary medicine, it has been prescribed to hundreds of millions of human beings worldwide to prevent or treat a variety of parasitic diseases. Recently, until anti-SARS-CoV-2 activity of ivermectin became the focus of numerous experimental studies and clinical trials, the results and interpretation of which generated a vigorous and still ongoing debate to establish how effective ivermectin is or could be against COVID-19. Drug approvals by regulatory authorities rely on a risk-benefit analysis. Benefit is assessed from clinical trials conducted in full compliance with guidelines. Severe adverse reactions are often too rare to enable clinical trials to generate accurate quantitative incidence data. Pharmacovigilance, or post-marketing drug surveillance, is another essential source of information on drug safety. The aim of this expert review report is to propose an independent and fair assessment of ivermectin medical safety profile based on an extensive analysis of the publicly available information. This was over 500 articles and web sources, taking into account known limitations and uncertainties at time of writing. This is how a very careful scientist would write. Uh, this is obviously an experienced person writing very carefully, really being very careful to note what they know and they're going to help point out what they don't know and what the um, data can tell us and what it can't tell us. All right. The conclusion, though, right up front is uh, we'll get to it. So in case uh, you want to get to the conclusions right away, the assessment of reported adverse events temporally associated with ivermectin treatment shows that the adverse effects of ivermectin used, um, of the effects of ivermectin used to be infrequent. So uh, less than 2 to 5% of treated patients in mild to moderate. So the reported adverse events, uh, very mild and infrequent. They mainly consist of dizziness, tremor, tingling and sleepiness, fever, fatigue and headache, nausea, abdominal pain, diarrhea, transient tachycardia, beating heart, and orthostatic hypotension, paritis rash. So again, this is uh, in under... 5% of treated patients would notice anything at all. And as this article goes on to really point out, a lot of those side effects that are noted, those adverse reactions that are noted, besides being mild uh, to moderate, are actually noted in people who have really strong parasitic infections. So is it the ivermectin causing those side effects or the fact that the ivermectin is killing a lot of parasites that's causing those reactions to come forward? Uh, In red, or whatever color that shows up as, continuing, quote, more severe neurological complications, that's seizures, confusion, encephalopathy, things like that, are possible but rare. They essentially developed in susceptible individuals, particularly in patients with a severe form of a parasitic disease, such as onchocerciasis or loa loa microfilariasis. So these are people who already had some sort of parasitic disease if you give them... um, uh, uh, ivermectin, some of these rare but more severe neurological complications have been noted, but they're exceedingly rare. We'll get to the data in just a second. As well, continuing, quote, a sudden and marked drop in blood pressure, severe skin reaction, liver injury have been mentioned in early safety reviews. The clinical experience accumulated over the years showed these severe adverse events are unequivocally extremely rare. In yellow, quote, the often It reiterated claim even today that ivermectin can be lethal in treated patients only rests on a one-page correspondence 
one page correspondence to the Lancet published in 1997. This claim is deemed to be unfounded as it's never been further substantiated until today. And instead, subsequent publications repeatedly showed this claim was either incorrect or methodologically inaccurate. So that's the only thing that he could find in the entire literature that spoke to any sort of a lethal complication. So in here as well, very useful. Uh, he noted that the pharmacodynamics is very important here, writing in humans, the reported elimination half-lives of ivermectin used to range between 12 hours and 35 hours. So a half-life is how long, if you took a, a dose, how long before half of it was cleared out of your system, 12 to 35 hours. So half a day to a day and a half. Um, the, uh, that ivermectin oral bioavailability is 2.6 times higher in fed versus unfed human beings led to formal recommendations for ivermectin administration. So some people would say take it with food because actually the point is to get it into your system, uh, and that's what's noted here. However, clinical data about a food effect on ivermectin pharmacokinetics are scarce, so we don't really have a lot of good data around that. Recent human studies found only minimal, if any, food effect. So still op open to question. Uh, he's got the citation. The original citation was 2002. More recently, in 2020, there's only a minimal effect, on, if any, on food effect, so a little bit up in the air. This is what science looks like. We think we know something, and then we think we're, we don't know something. We learn more as we go, so I like the carefulness of this report. As well, for repeat dosing here, uh, the repeated dose toxicity of ivermectin was assessed in a three-month oral study in mice. All right, so quick aside. When you're doing toxicology studies, you're trying to ask a question like, how toxic is this stuff? You might try a toxicity study in vitro first. You would do it on just cells floating around in a medium or plated down onto a, a glass substrate or plastic substrate. You could do that in vitro study, and if you pour it on, you can find out, oh, at this level, these cells die. The next layer up is in vivo, where you're doing it in whole animals. So you might run an, a mouse model, a rat model, a guinea pig model. Could be dogs, could be cats could be monkeys, right? In each one of these animal models, you're going to get different results because all animals respond differently to these things. So when we're looking at animal models, the gold standard is in a primate compare if you gold gold standard is what happens in humans. Obviously, that's what we're interested in here. But if you can't experiment on humans, primates would give you the next best read. Below that, things get a little murky, um, particularly when you're looking at reproductive effects or other effects like that, uh, um, you know, what's happening to cardiovascular issues, et cetera. These things are, are more difficult to assess when they happen in a, a different species than a primate or human. But even still, that's where we start in toxicology studies. We're asking what happens in rats, what happens in mice, things like that. And if something happens there, then we'll know to look more carefully uh, at other animal models and maybe even in humans post-marketing, so that uh, post-marketing vigilance. All right, what they find? Four-week dermal study, so they're putting it on the outsides of, of these animals, and they did three- and six-month oral studies in Sprague Dolly rats. That's a strain of rat. Um, and they did three- and nine-month oral studies in beagle dogs and uh, versus a two-week dermal study, again, through the skin, and a two-week, three- and six-month dermal studies in uh, mini pigs. And finally, a two-week oral study in rhesus monkeys. This is going to be the gold standard, the thing we want to look at. And they're looking here at something called an NOAEL, no observed adverse effect level, the NOAEL. 
All right, let's look at that, uh, the data that came out from that. And this is, a, uh, again, from the same PDF from uh, Jacques' great toxicology review. So first up, let's just look at one of these. So in a mouse, they might have uh, treated for 13 weeks with ivermectin, the root. This was dermal, so it's being applied to the outside. And they had different dose levels. So they had a zero dose level, a one, a three, and a 10 milligrams per kilogram per day. That's what these dose levels are, milligrams per kilogram per day. And then they asked the question, well, where was the no observed effect level? Where is that NOEL? What was the highest amount you could get to where you didn't see a NOEL? So in this particular study with mice coming through the dermal route, they went all the way up to the highest level of 10 milligrams per kilogram per day, and they didn't see any observed effect level. Now we're going to contrast that uh, with dogs, dogs seem to be a lot more sensitive to ivermectin. Here at 13 weeks, they did an oral administration. All these doses here from 0 to 0.1 to 0 0.25, 0 0.5, 1.5 mg per kilogram, they started to observe an effect at 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. That's where in dogs they started to notice this pretty consistently. Whether they were doing this at 14 weeks oral or a much longer administration, 0 0.5, 0 0.5, 0 0.5, that's where they started to first notice an effect. These effects could be all kinds of things. Loss of appetite, could be tremors, could be um, inability to sleep. It could be um, that their eyes were starting to dilate or something like that. Whatever the effect was they were looking for, they're looking for that first tox sign that says this animal, something's happening to it physiologically that's due to the impact of this drug. It's called a toxicity reaction. All right. Uh, in mini pigs, same thing, except here we notice the mini pigs uh, seem to be very resistant to effects of uh, so here they only did this dermal root exposure, 13, 20, 20. They went right to the top of their dose range and didn't see any observed effect levels in the mini pigs. What about monkeys? Because this is the gold standard. Here they did a two-week oral administration. They did these four doses up to a high dose of 1.2 milligrams per kilogram. And I'll tell you what that means in a second in terms of human dosing. And they didn't see any observed effects. They had a NOEL, a no observed adverse effect level at the highest possible dose in monkeys. That's unfortunately all the data we've got at this point in time. But um, we can for sure say that monkeys didn't have any effect at 1.2 milligrams per kilogram. Now, what does that mean to us? A very typical dosing regimen for a human would be 0.2 milligrams per kilogram is what's normally administered for the onchocerciasis and other typical administrations. If you get scice or, sorry, scice, scabies or lice, uh, you're probably going to be taking a dose that's going to be uh, calibrated at 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. If you take that and you're a standard 70 kilogram person, which means you're 154 pounds, you would be taking 14 milligrams per day. But there are now clinical trials underway uh, for ivermectin, which are exploring doses up to as high as 0.6 milligrams per kilogram per day, which is 42 milligrams per day. But this dosing here at 1.2 milligrams per kilogram in the monkeys is equivalent to 84 milligrams a day per day for 14 days in a row, again, for a 70 kilogram person or 154 pound person. So based on this, um, what we can tell you is that uh, there's a very good safety profile, at least in a primate model, but this is also confirmed in real-world dosing data where we see very few side effects uh, from ivermectin in clinical settings, um, often none. Uh, sometimes people think they see something, but um, really haven't seen much showing up yet. And so if we go on with this, our conclusion is that current doses are well within 
known uh, toxicity and safety parameters. Here's how that works. So in a drug safety slash uh, the therapeutic index is here we would start giving a drug to some organism, maybe a person, and we see that it's becoming more and more and more effective. This is the effective dose. This is where you're getting half the response that you're looking for. The ED50, we'd be looking at this 50% are responding here at um, in this case, a dose that's just under one milligram. This is a hypothetical. This is not an ivermectin uh, therapeutic index chart. But what you really want to see is that when you start seeing these toxic effects, they're showing up here on this chart somewhere around 20 uh, milligrams per kilogram. Very steep. Sometimes these slopes can be super steep. Like you see toxicity start to show up and then it gets really bad quickly. And what you want to see is a big gap between these two at the ED50s, right? The TD50 is the, ther is the toxic dose we want to see a big wide gap between these two. Here's your ED50 way down here. Here we have to go up a factor of 10, probably a factor of 20. This has a factor of 20 on this. Again, this is just a, this is not any particular drug. This is just sort of a, a representative therapeutic index curve set. What we can tell from this right away is that um, the even at this highest level, we still have a big, big safety uh, margin. We don't know how big it is because, again, at this dose, there was no observed effect. So we don't have the curve yet. And Merck did studies, too, where they ran out and they were doing um, clinical trials on this uh, to find out how safe, way back when, how safe uh, ivermectin was. We don't have a toxic dose level. But I can give you some hints about it a little bit later in this paper. But for now, what we can say is that the uh, safety parameter of ivermectin against known dosing regimens, which we see down here right now, very well tolerated and well within the safety bands. What about acute toxicity? I said I would get to this in just a second, so let's get right to it. Um, we don't have much, but we do have a couple of cases. Here's a case of a suicidal intake of ivermectin. It was reported a 19-year-old woman with severe lao-lao filariasis said, I'm all done with life. She developed nausea and vomiting and moderate neurological manifestations, including ataxia, reactive midriasis, which is eyes, uh, pupils dilating, um, hyperreflexia, and pos after possibly ingesting 100 times the recommended therapeutic dose, so that would have been, in this case, they suspect she took around 403 milligram ivermectin tablets. What happened? Uh, she received conventional supportive uh, treatment and could be discharged from the hospital on uh, day four post ingestion, apparently with no long-term complications. So even in a case where somebody took 100 times the recommended therapeutic dose, uh, stuff happened for sure, no question about it. But um, really, obviously, uh, uh, not much really to speak of. That's a, that's a pretty good outcome. If you take 100 times the therapeutically recommended dose of uh, paracetamol, which is Tylenol, you're not coming out of the hospital. All right. Uh, only a few cases of accidental human overdose have been reported despite the wide availability of ivermectin as a veterinary and a human medicine. Usually, moderate neurotoxic manifestations with rapid recovery after unspecific supportive measures were the predominating course of events. No accidental overdose, including in infants and young children, has had a lethal outcome. Zero. We, we don't have any uh, examples of that in the literature at this point in time. So that's incredibly safe. You have to understand that there are accidental overdoses in infants and young children with a lethal outcome for kids finding cigarette butts under grandma's chair and chewing on them and getting a nicotine overdose. Uh, you have to understand that it's exceedingly rare to find a drug that you can write that sentence about, particularly one 
with billions of doses distributed all over the world, um, often, you know, to people hanging out in bottles and medicine cabinets or, or, you know, on shelves all over the world, including very, very poor regions of the world. So let me repeat that last sentence. No accidental overdose, is, including in infants and young children, has had a lethal outcome as of the writing of this by February 2021. So that's a pretty astonishing thing in the world of um, drugs and uh, uh, drug dosing. However, cats and dogs uh, have really pretty increased sensitivity. So if you do have this stuff in your house, you're going to want to be careful that your animals uh, have a very controlled access to it if you're treating them. Um, Really follow the advice of your veterinarian if you are treating cats and dogs. So two lines of ivermectin data from veterinary medicine practice observe... Uh, deserve particular attention. First, acute intoxications, um, often called ivermectin toxicosis, uh, have long been reported in dogs and cats. They are thought to be often due to the inadvertent administration of an excessive dose by the animal's owner. Can happen. Even though an exaggerated sensitivity of dogs and cats to ivermectin may also be involved. Uh, Such an exaggerated sensitivity has been well documented in collies in particular, and a few closely related breeds. Why is that? The multi-drug resistance gene MDR1 encodes the P-glycoprotein, a large transmembrane protein that is an integral part of the blood-brain barrier. And a deletion mutation in MDR1 has been shown to be associated with ivermectin sensitivity. Animals that are homozygous, meaning they only have one copy each of that MDR mutation, uh, display the ivermectin-sensitive phenotype. That includes collies. And between one-third and one-half of collies were found to bear the ivermectin-sensitive phenotype. So if you're a collie owner, you're going to want to watch very carefully uh, what's going on with ivermectin in your household because it can be, um, as I mentioned before, it can be obviously uh, toxic to them. As I mentioned before, different animals have different reactions and sensitivities. That's why if all we'd ever done was pulled collies and fed them ivermectin, we would have said, this is the most dangerous drug ever. Uh, instead, we find out it's a very specific condition for collies. So that's why normally toxicology studies look at a variety of different animal species all the way and up to and including primates because you have to look at the constellation of all the toxicity. You begin to form a pattern, develop an understanding, and obviously with collies, we've, uh, we humans have figured it all the way down to the specific genetic uh, condition that, that results in their sensitivity. All right, um, very low cardiovascular toxicity has, has been noted for ivermectin in this study. Uh, here they say um, seldom reported cardiovascular adverse events in ivermectin-treated human subjects have been seldom reported. Limited information is available on the human cardiovascular safety of ivermectin. 32 elderly Liberian men were treated with ivermectin and EKGs or electrocardiograms were performed twice daily pre-treatment and on five occasions post-treatment. 20 subjects had pre-treatment EKG abnormalities. So this is not a healthy cohort. No significant changes and no new abnormalities were observed following ivermectin administration. So not a lot of data. We have 32 elderly Liberian men in this data set, but 20 of them did have EKG abnormalities. Um, 12 didn't. They were both groups were given ivermectin, no changes to EKG. Um, But as mentioned above, brutal hypotension, a drop of blood pressure can occur in the very early phase of ivermectin treatment in patients who have uh, this particular parasitic disease. So that would be something to look out for if you're treating patients who have onchocerciasis. 
as well, very low liver toxicity. Uh, I've seen reports online saying that it's it's got liver toxicity. I couldn't find any support of that. This paper doesn't find any support either. So if we look at the hepatic or liver adverse events, ivermectin was suspected to be hepat- a hepatotoxicant. In fact, this claim uh, reproduced in several publications was based on a few individual case reports where the causal relationship with ivermectin treatment was not convincingly established. So here's an example of how that might have happened. Let's say I'm a drunk, I'm a huge drunk, I drink a lot, and then I go and I get treated for, with ivermectin, and then my liver fails. Um, maybe it was the ivermectin, or maybe it's because I had uh, cirrhosis and my liver was shot from all the drinking. The causal relationship would be, say, we gave this and then we saw this to happen. That causal relationship has been determined. Um, many times people who are coming in for treatment for ivermectin have many, many other underlying conditions. So that what he's saying here, uh, the causal relationship was not convincingly established. The last update of liver tox, a database of drug-induced hepatotoxicity, did not classify ivermectin as a known hepatotoxicant, a conclusion recently confirmed by the U.S. NIH. So nothing there to report. As well, uh, very mild to moderate gastrointestinal adverse events, um, diarrhea, nausea, and abdominal pain are the most frequent gastrointestinal adverse events linked to ivermectin administration. As indicated above, they are usually mild to moderate and seen in just a few percent of treated patients. No severe adverse reaction affecting the GI system has seemingly been attributed to ivermectin. And as well, this paper later makes a, a, a statement that a lot of those uh, mild to moderate diarrhea, nausea, abdominal pain are actually linked to people who have intestinal parasites. And that's actually more related to the releasing of those parasites, the death of those parasites, and the uncomfortable reactions that follow. That is certainly a part of the game. All right. Ivermectin in pregnancy, this comes up a lot. So first up, some concerning stuff here. Development and reproduction toxicity. Ivermectin was shown to be teratogenic. So that's um, that's creating a, a misformate. Teratogenesis is the misformation of tissues um, as they're developing. So these are misformed tissues. Uh, was shown to be teratogenic in mice and rats and rabbits when given at uh, repeated doses of 0.2. Uh, 8.1 and 4.5 times the maximum recommended human dose. So this includes at 0.2 under the recommended maximum human dose. So it's, it's encompassing that total range. Teratogenicity was characterized in the three animal species tested based on these non-clinical findings. So this is animal tox, not clinical toxicity. Based on these non-clinical findings, ivermectin was initially classified as a possible human teratogen. As discussed later in this review, the medical experience accumulated so far following accidental or intentional administration of ivermectin to pregnant women led many regulatory authorities and medical experts to break away from early um, adamant contraindications. So it's not being borne out in the actual real world experience. A lot of women are actually taking this. They're taking it all across this belt in Africa and they take it and and we haven't we, it hasn't been noted in, in the literature yet that um, it's resulted in any of the stuff that we saw here in the early animal models up here. That happens a lot in toxicology. Despite early preclinical findings, no fal- malformation temporarily associated with ivermectin exposure of pregnant women have seemingly ever been recorded or suspected. Similarly, no immediate or long-term adverse consequences on infants or children exposed to ivermectin via their pregnant mother have been recorded 
or suspected uh, quite a few papers looking into this. Um, why is it so well studied? Well, because uh, the WHO and a variety of NGOs have given out ivermectin uh, like candy all across places uh, where there have been things like river blindness, other parasitic diseases, and ivermectin is just a, a fabulous job of wiping um, those out in those affected regions. So we actually have a lot of real-world data, and as this uh, review found, they couldn't find any um, any reports so far of any immediate or long-term adverse consequences on infants or children, nor any teratogenic uh, experiences in humans yet. So that's just what the data says so far. We still need to, to learn more. Drug-drug interactions, of course, this is a big thing. You don't want one drug uh, interacting with another one. There have been reports out there saying that maybe this has happened. Uh, this report actually says they can't find a lot. Here's Let's go through it. Ivermectin has been shown to act as, in green, a strong inhibitor of P-glycoprotein. Remember, that's the one that uh, is involved in taking things across the, the blood-brain barrier. Um, also, it inhibits CYPA4, a liver enzyme used uh, extensively to, to um, reform and reshape uh, molecules. And, and uh, it's part of your overall dr um, drug metabolism cycle. And, and is extensively bound to plasma proteins. Writing here, he says, quote, all three mechanisms can potentially or theoretically lead to clinically significant drug interactions. Actually, very few clinical reports of a significant drug interaction with ivermectin have been published so that in most instances, only assumptions can be made from pharmacokinetic evaluation of specific drug interactions in humans or in animals. So only assumptions. Not much has really shown up. So one big thing that, that I was uh, really intrigued to, to read about was anticoagulants because I'd heard that there was an impact on heparin, which is an anticoagulant, um, and warfarin and things like that. Writing here, he says, uh, although the possible interaction of ivermectin and warfarin is often mentioned in the literature, only one, one case report of a clinically significant interaction has ever been published. This is the Gilbert paper in 2018. I've read that one. As previously mentioned, early findings that ivermectin might adversely influence coagulation were recently contradicted. No significant risk for such an interaction has been demonstrated. Um, as well, uh, no clinical studies. We don't have any data here about ivermectin and heparin, so not much there, but nothing is popping out clinically. We're not seeing it in a postclinical surveillance environment either. Uh, antimicrobials, eh, nah, no clinically significant interactions. Um, other antiparasitic drugs, eh, no pharmacokinetic interactions was found there. How about central nervous system drugs? Um, following studies all failed to evidence any clinically relevant, clinically relevant interactions between ivermectin and phenobarbital, tramadol, antiepileptics, loperamide, um, trifluoroperazine. So none, no interactions were noted of significance here. That's good news because that's what you want in a drug. So let's jump right now. His conclusion. Uh, hundreds of millions of human subjects have been treated with ivermectin for curative or prophylactic purposes worldwide over the last three decades. Human subjects. Uh, as well, in yellow down below, taking into account all the above, the author of the present analysis of the available medical data concludes that the safety profile of ivermectin has so far been excellent in the majority of treated human patients so that in pinkish part, ivermectin human toxicity cannot be claimed to be a serious cause for concern. End quote. Conclusion, ivermectin, extremely safe, very well tolerated drug. Um, so I think a lot of the, hopefully this puts to rest um, 
any of the conclusions that people have been drawing lately that ivermectin is unsafe or that it's not for humans or that it's in some way, um, you know, been linked to bad outcomes or in the cases I've seen people getting more hyperbolic and saying that it's killing people. The review of the literature says we don't have even a single recorded case of that at this point in time that's been conclusively demonstrated, causally demonstrated or temporarily associated. Sure, but we don't have that direct um, that direct mechanism yet. So that's what we see there. And by the way, let me just put this all in context for you real quick. Um, and uh, in the discussion here, he said as well, this is from the discussion of the paper, the present extensive review of adverse events reportedly associated with ivermectin treatment for therapeutic or prophylactic purpose did not reveal any significant cause for concern. Indeed, with a notable exception of patients with parasitic diseases such as onchocerciasis or loa loa, serious adverse events temporarily associated with ivermectin were very infrequent. In fact, adverse events were mainly mild to moderate and infrequent. That, uh, this is confirmed by results reported in patients with scabies or human beings without any ongoing parasitic disease, where we see almost no impacts. By the way, let's just put this in context. I did. I went over to Vigia Access, um, which is a uh, maintained by the WHO, and you put in ivermectin. Um, let's see what we get. Oh my gosh, we got 5,644 adverse drug reactions, ADRs, and you can see them all listed here in this big list. And that's what we see. But we're seeing 5,644 adverse reactions over what time frame? Decades. So this is just a small clip. In fact, we can notice that 44% of all reported ivermectin um, side effects have been reported in just the past two years, and it's been out in this database for 40 years. Um, prior to this, there were almost no reports coming in for a long, long, long time. And so this is when we see a 1151510, stuff like that. This is with hundreds of millions of doses being administered and distributed in that yearly period. So how do we put that in context? Well, we could compare this to uh, paracetamol. And over the same time frame, we saw that there were 5,644 for ivermectin as compared to 168,074 adverse events for paracetamol, which did include um, deaths and things like that. So here you can see all the different things that show up under paracetamol, a.k.a. Tylenol. So um, we tolerate Tylenol. You can just walk up to any um, in this country, in the United States. You can just buy it anywhere you want. Uh, it's Nobody says anything. You're very concerned. Um pharmacist will not try and talk you out of it. <laughs> you can just go up and get it. Uh, just based on this uh, right here, which is not a fair comparison because we don't know how many doses of each were actually, we'd have to put it on a per dose basis, but um, I'm pretty sure ivermectin is going to compare very, very favorably with paracetamol on an overall dose for dose basis, obviously, because if we ran a similar tox report like this for paracetamol or aspirin or, or, or any of these other things, we would find a lot more in terms of the side effects, the severity of the side effects, the drug interactions, impacts on target organ systems, teratogenicity, all of that. All right. So what is my conclusion here uh, from this review of the ivermectin toxicity? And I'm just going to spread this out so it doesn't interfere with that. First, it's extremely well tolerated with adverse events being described as infrequent, if not rare, and mild to sometimes moderate. But serious, there's not a lot of serious adverse events in there. There have been no recorded direct deaths to date. Uh, there are very few drug interactions to report. 
We have an extremely favorable therapeutic index, which means, again, we're dividing the toxic dose by the effective dose. So we're looking for big, big, you know, um, wide range there with the toxic dose being much higher, a much larger number than the therapeutic dose. Overall, uh, ivermectin, I have to tell you, this is among the very safest of drugs I've ever studied. Um, I did, looked at a lot of uh, drugs over time in, as part of my studies. Um, I think any safety concerns that are currently arising right now are misplaced. And uh, that's my conclusion from reading that really excellent paper by Jacques Decote. He did a fabulous job, a really good summary. I'm giving him an A on that. Really well done. Remember, it doesn't have to be this way. If you want to follow my work anywhere, uh, these are some places you can do it. But I would direct you increasingly over there, right down there, uh, peakprosperity.com. There is a part two to this video. I'm going to be talking more about what I'm seeing in the world over at Peak Prosperity. Again, I have to do things more and more over there because uh, that's a place we can actually practice open free speech where we can talk about things like this data I just gave you on ivermectin here. So please come by peakprosperity.com. We are still running a uh, $7 trial special over there where you can try us out for a month. If you don't like it, hey, with seven bucks. Uh, but a lot of people are coming over. And by the way, we have had an enormous uh, number of new people coming over who really value the free speech, the free inquiry, the open sharing of ideas uh, without judgment. As long as you bring the data, we're good to go. So we have a, a we're really gaining a, a lot of followers at this point in time because, well, hey, guess what? A lot of people like context. They like their data. They like to be able to talk about things. They like to wrestle with ideas. And uh, that's our tribe. We're curious. And when the data changes, hey, I'll change my opinion. So see you over at Peak Prosperity. Until then, until next week, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.